0: things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed. We'll help you work with Generation Z, with all the information that you'll need. It's the Jack and Ollie Show.
1: Hello and welcome to the Jack and Ollie Show, the early careers podcast with myself, Ollie Sidwell. And me, Jack Denton. Uh, Today, we are on the road again. Again. Again, here, it's there our fourth trip on the road.
0: Where are we today, Ollie?
1: Uh, we are in at the Royal Society of Chemistry in Mayfair.
0: Wow, lovely! Very nice, grand building.
1: Is it grand building? So we're currently in the library, and the reason we're here is we're meeting um, our special guest. We have Sir John Holman with us.
2: Welcome to the show. Hi, Hello. John. How well, are you? Thank you, thank you very much for inviting me to join you. <laughs> uh,
1: absolutely, our pleasure. So we're going to be talking about the Gatsby benchmarks. Mm. Um, now, I guess when you talk about Gatsby. More recently, people might also think of the film, The Great Gatsby. That's
0: right, Leonardo DiCaprio.
1: Big film. Um, So we're not talking about that today. For your film bods out there, we are going to talk about um, the eight Gatsby benchmarks, which Sir John uh, helped create. Um, and how they've uh, created a framework into schools to help careers provision. You so might want
2: to, you might want to uh, know why they were called the Gatsby Benchmarks.
1: Was it based on the film? Or?
2: Uh, <laughs> not, no, it wasn't. But it's um, the work has been sponsored and funded and initiated by the Gatsby Foundation, which is mm-hmm. a charitable foundation set up by Lord Sainsbury, mm. and. Um, because every charitable foundation has to have a name, he decided to call it after the book. Uh, the oh, Great yes, Gatsby. you did. Yep. So, oh, excellent. <laughs> so that's, um, that's that's where its name came from.
1: The book, by the novel, which is a 1925 novel, The Great Gatsby. There's also research that's for it. you. Yeah, which is what I think there's been about four or five films made off the back of that book mm-hmm. as well. That's really interesting. So, um, And is it David Sainsbury?
2: Lord Sainsbury of, of Turville, David Sainsbury.
1: Yeah, Lord Sainsbury, yes. So um, also set up the um, retail outlet at
2: Sainsbury's as well. Is that right? Uh, he didn't set it up. One of his ancestors did. did? Okay. <laughs> uh, and he's, he's, in that he's in that the family. The
1: Sainsbury family. So uh, there you go. There's your history lesson uh, to kick off the mm-hmm. podcast. Um, I guess as an introduction to yourself, uh, Sir John, uh, it's a bit of a roll call for you. We've got a list of things that uh, you've achieved. So I guess you started... That's a very long list. That's a long list, yes. Uh, you started as a former head teacher and you've taught um, learners of science at all levels from at years 11 uh, upwards to undergraduates, and you've written plenty of books around science um, in the UK and overseas. Um, really like the fact that you're a trustee of the Natural History Museum, uh, one of my favourite places. Um, you were knighted in 2010 yeah, for cool. services to education, uh, which must have been phenomenal.
2: <laughs> it, it was, and uh, it's a great privilege, and when someone gets knighted, this isn't just what they've done. It's what all the people that I've worked with hmm. have done.
1: Yeah, nice. Well, that's an incredible accolade. So, <laughs> huge congratulations for that one. He's Senior Advisor at the Gatsby Foundation and Professor uh, in the Chemistry Department at the University of York. So, what a roll call that is.
0: Incredibly <laughs> impressive, yeah. I'm just glad that I don't have to compare my own next to it. Um, and you
2: might wonder why someone who's... Uh, a chemistry teacher mm. um gets interested in career guidance yeah absolutely and uh, several reasons we might discuss them later but one of them is that um i like young people to continue their study of science uh, past the the age when they can choose mm. you know that's mm-hmm. that's my measure of success actually do they want to go on and study chemistry physics whatever and part of enabling them to do that is good career guidance yeah. because if you look at if you're contemplating the choice of a level physics chemistry maths these are quite hard subjects it, it, at least people believe that they're hard subjects mm. and that you know that can be a deterrent to choosing to study them but if people understand the great careers that you can embark on if you've got qualifications in stem subjects then you're more likely to bite the bullet and study those possibly more challenging subject so that was how i first got got interested in career guidance
0: one of the interesting things actually some of the i think nearly all of the most interesting guests that we've had are working in a sector that's not necessarily their natural home and i think it's really interesting because they have a different perspective whereas people who tend to be all from the same industry have a particular view on things whereas someone who's come from a different background has a different view actually it's really interesting so you know like steve keith and um phil page
1: mm-hmm. yeah none
0: of them were from the backgrounds that they ultimately ended up in and i think that they gave really nice perspectives on 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 things um same with um paul gascoigne as well in series one yes yeah. So
2: yeah. That, that's guessed. a very interesting observation and i recognize that yeah in, in in my in my own career um and my career in career guidance mm-hmm. um partly for the reason i said about choices of stem subjects but also when I was a head teacher um, in a school that had a very wide range of people from very well off homes through to people who, whose family have got no jobs, mm-hmm. and I I used to think um, some of some of these students are getting good career guidance from their homes, mm-hmm. you know, if their families understand about all the rich range of careers that are available with the right qualifications, if, they know, if they've got the contacts, if they've got the know-how. The school doesn't really need to do a lot. But then if you look at the youngsters who come from families where no one's ever had a skilled job mm. and there isn't this kind of know-how about what the routes are available to you if you choose different qualifications, those are the people who need career, career guidance. And if they don't get it from school, they won't get it from anywhere. Yeah. So that was, what, that was the second thing that motivated me to be very interested in career guidance, the, the, the potential of it for ensuring social mobility.
0: Yeah, what would be really interesting to start with would be to understand how we got, from, got to the point where we are today. So how did you get involved in that, Sir John? So how did it begin where um, you, you know, kind of got approached or you started working on them to the to eight the that we ended up with?
2: So it, it it begins about twenty thirteen probably um with a conversation at the Gatsby Foundation yeah about career guidance and around that time there were some pretty critical reports being published mm-hmm. from Ofsted from the Education Select Committee saying that career guidance is not very good yeah. Uh, or at least it 's very patchy, you know some mm. schools do it well, some schools do it badly and mm. and I found myself asking, well, what would it look like if it was good it 's yeah. you know, all very well to say it 's not really good, but what would it be like if it was good mm. and when you ask questions like that, you often look outside of the country and you think in terms of going overseas so that was that was the starting point right <clears throat> um, what Where could I find out in other countries what good career good guidance looks like yep. so we we looked at a report that had been done by the OECD yep. several years previously of different countries with good career guidance. Okay. And from that list, I selected six countries to visit mm-hmm. on the grounds that they, they were known to have good career guidance systems. So uh, there would be something to learn there. So yep. six countries were Finland, Netherlands, Germany, Ireland, Ontario, and Hong Kong. Right. Uh, oh, and we visited those there. six countries. Yeah. Mm.
0: Hmm. Okay, great. And then you, I guess you pulled bits out from those different systems that you thought were one, useful, and two, might work in the system that we've got here. You've got this I, kind I, of two absolutely
2: things. right. Yeah, we, we must have visited 20 to 30 different schools. We met a lot of teachers, career leaders, counsellors, um, employers, mm-hmm. Ministry of Education officials. We we met a lot of people. Um and from that, we were accumulating a lot of data about what works what works well in, in these countries. And as you say, Jack, the the other question we asked was, okay, but will this work in the UK? Mm. And when you do an international study like this, you have to be very careful of cherry picking. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. you know, it's quite easy to say, oh, I, I like the sound of that, <laughs> you know, without really thinking about whether it would fit in with our culture yeah Yeah. so that was that was the starting point for the benchmarks although we did uh, we also did a literature review Mm -hmm. and we visited a number of schools here in England where we thought we could we could learn more Um, but at the heart of the study was the was the international visit
0: okay so I guess you've done you've done the research you've kind of worked out here's what best practice um, uh, looks like Um, we need to narrow that down into some kind of manageable format that somebody could easily implement within their school or college so let's kind of create that into a, a number of steps or a number of benchmarks in this case you thought of eight were there always eight or were there was there a long list of 20 or 50 or 10 or
1: is eight the best number is it the roundest number you could find
2: uh, well i like eight <laughs> because it's two cubed you know it's mm-hmm. double four and it's a <laughs> really very nice number but no seriously um uh, I think it always came out as eight. I don't really remember, but yeah, but um, it felt as if uh, there were eight substantial things that you should be doing. And what I was very sure of is that we needed to look right across the piece and talk about what happens in the school and also out of the school because mm-hmm. the employers are so important in in this in this area. Yeah. So. You, 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 it wasn't enough to just say this is what you do in the school, and then maybe employers will help or maybe not. Mm. You needed to integrate it all together, and that was that was how we arrived at eight. Um, we then had three consultative workshops where we got together had, um, head teachers and school leaders, career leaders, mm-hmm. employers, universities, and and we said, right, here they are. Here's the eight benchmarks. What yeah. do you think? and we tested them pretty hard actually mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh on on these experts and as a result of that we revised them again right and then the the next thing we did um was to try them out on schools so mm-hmm. what what i wanted to do was to see how do the schools now measure up against these benchmarks mm-hmm. so we took a 10% sample of english schools and we tested them against the the benchmarks, mm-hmm. and to do that, we had to produce a questionnaire. Right. We had to turn these benchmarks yeah. into questions. Yeah. Do you have a stable career program? Do you revise it frequently? Yeah. And that was where the idea of being able to measure yourself against the benchmarks came from. Mm-hmm. And that's turned out to be really powerful. Yeah. Because schools like to be able to measure themselves and see how they're getting on.
1: Yeah. It sounds really comprehensive the way you went about it.
2: It it, it was. It was quite a thorough piece of work yeah. and I really enjoyed it. I felt very privileged to be doing it. Mm. Um, you know, a foundation had decided that they wanted to pay for this work to be done. Mm. And um, it was a great opportunity for me. And as we've seen, it turned out to be the right, the right thing to do at the right time. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then so since, since then, since they were um, implemented and, um, you know, the careers and enterprise company have been carrying that out, helping you implement mm. that across the, across the country. Um, how do you feel that um it's gone? Is it kind of like your is your vision been achieved, or is it still part of the process, or how well, is that
2: i I, I just need to add in one more stage before sure. okay, I yeah. answer that, and that is that um when as soon as we published this work, mm-hmm. uh we started getting calls from schools who were interested in using the benchmarks, but also from employers. And I was really interested in that. Yeah, did employers. You expect that? No, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> expect it. And they were saying, um, "Now we can see how we fit into the picture. This is not just employers doing something on one side and schools on the other. It's an integrated plan." Mm. And and that was a very powerful moment for me when I under, when I began to understand that we might be onto something and that it will work for employers as well as schools. So, I advised the Gatsby foundation to run a pilot which they did in the northeast of England with 13 schools and three colleges Mm -hmm. to test out the benchmarks over two years that showed that they worked Mm -hmm. but it also provided us with a showcase that we could say to anyone who was interested including government ministers and officials don't take my word for it go and have a look up there in the northeast of England and that That was the really persuasive thing, and that it was after that that the government decided to embed the Gatsby benchmarks in their careers policy.
0: Mm -hmm. And um, do you think there's a place, maybe at some point in the future or now even, for um, schools not to assess themselves but have other people assess them? Because there could be a an incentive for a school to say, "Guess what?
1: We got better again this year." Yeah, Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, perhaps
1: to. You know, that's because at the moment I guess schools can assess themselves which makes it easier to understand yeah. how it works so you yeah. think you're saying could it work better if it was assessed externally yeah, yeah it would just be
0: a more uniform assessment of, mm. of um, how yeah. schools are doing because I guess the old the whole idea is to avoid this, this patchiness so what somebody's understanding of whether they're carrying out you know um, Gatsby 5 might be different from another person's interpretation whereas if you had yeah. a, a, like an external assessor you know whether it was part of an Ofsted inspection or whatever it might be.
2: Mm. Yeah. No, I get I get what you're saying. Um, we developed very early on in in the um, the, the implementation of Gatsby, we developed a, an online tool, audit tool called Compass. Yeah. Schools can go online and they can test themselves to see how they're measuring up against the benchmarks. Mm-hmm. And because these are world class benchmarks, we found that schools, frankly, weren't doing terribly well you know they were mm-hmm. they were getting an average at the start in the pilot they were getting something around two out of the eight benchmarks mm-hmm. so probably even fewer than that and yeah. um on the face of it this is discouraging until you look at the fine detail and you find that a lot of the schools are getting some of the benchmark but they're not quite there yet right now, okay when we developed compass and made it available for all schools to test themselves. Mm -hmm. I started getting questions saying, oh, this will be a way of holding schools to account. This will be a way of checking up on them Mm. and making sure uh, that they're doing what they've been told to do. And I said, absolutely not. This is confidential. Schools who do Compass are the owners of their data and no one else sees it unless they choose to share it. Um, And this is really important because Compass is a self-improvement tool the whole Gatsby concept is a self-improvement tool where schools look at what they're doing and they say, yeah, we're doing this part, benchmark two, shall we say, we're doing that well, but my goodness, we've got some distance to travel on benchmark seven. Mm-hmm. And they and they can, because the benchmarks are quite granular, they can look at the detail and say, oh yeah, I see what we've got to do. That something we've got to fix over here, but we're doing really well over there mm-hmm. and that So that sense of a self-improvement tool is intrinsic to Compass. Now, come to your, your point, um, yes, it is possible that schools could, you know, fiddle it or cheat, but why would they when it is designed to help them to improve? And the remarkable thing is they have been very, very honest. As we look at the data coming out of Compass year on year, in the report called mm. "State of the Nation," which we publish yeah. every year, um, the the increase in reaching benchmarks is very gradual. Mm. Now, if the if the schools were cheating, they were cheating, they'd be doing it much faster, <laughs> um, because you know they would be saying, "Oh well, you know, give that one a tick, give that one a tick." They're not doing that. They're, mm. they're looking carefully at themselves, looking at themselves in the mirror, and saying, "This is where we need to get better. This is where we're good enough already."
1: Mm
0: and so if um if a school or college is um uh, uh not performing as well as they might like to in a bunch of the a, a whole series of different benchmarks mm. um is there a recommended um order they should follow them in are they in order we should start with 1 and then you should work down to 8 or is it actually these are just 8 and they're all equal so you can kind of start wherever you want really uh,
2: it's more like the second of those two <laughs> things yeah. that that uh, there is this you certainly don't start at 1 and and it, it, sure uh because you need to be doing all of all of these things that's the, that's the point mm-hmm. um and if you started at one gave that a big tick and then <laughs> did two and then three you'd be you wouldn't be doing any employer engagement because yeah, that's yeah, numbers 5 and 6 so you you have to be doing all of it yeah and when i get asked um which is the most important one i say that they're all equally important yeah, it's, there it's isn't a, a magic bullet yeah <laughs> do uh, you have a
1: favorite <laughs> must have a favorite
2: I can honestly say I don't have a favourite. <laughs> my favourite is, <laughs> is,
1: I think, four
0: for linking careers. Yes, yes. I because I think that's, because I think, I mean, lots of people, you know, whenever you ask people's experience of careers advice, it's always the same story. Oh, I didn't get any advice, so I spoke to someone for 10 minutes once. Um, but I think actually it would be, I think that bit's really cool because, you know, um, we've done a lot of research, all about research and a lot of research, and we... Um, Asked a lot of young people uh, where they get their careers advice and guidance from, and actually most of it comes informally from their classroom teachers, and their classroom teachers um, uh, are not really that well informed. Why? Why would they be? Um, and the reason they do it is they feel very comfortable with them. They see those people all yeah. the time. They're yeah. their form tutor, and so they're. Very, whereas the careers advisor, almost always um, well informed now. When you look at the, the the data on that, however, they're spending not not so much time. With with the young people, and they don't have, really have a, a, a personal relationship yeah. with each other. So, um, I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I
2: think I think it's very interesting, and it's you're you spot on. That is absolutely true because they tr- they'll trust their form tutor. They'll probably meet them every day. Yeah, they'll pick up start conversations and pick up conversations later on another, another days. So, those are critical people. But but the weakness, as you have said, Jack, is that they don't necessarily have all the comprehensive information at their disposal and and very importantly we've got new technical qualifications coming along t Mm -hmm. levels um and we have a um an increased emphasis on apprenticeships these are great routes to technical jobs well paid highly skilled technical jobs but teachers often don't know those routes very well because practically every teacher themselves came up the university route
0: yeah of course yeah yeah yeah. So,
2: what's the answer? I think I, I would love to see that initial teacher training courses had a bit of a component in them about career guidance, mm, yeah. to br- so that just teachers basics, are really up to you know. date with with the latest. Yeah, I think yeah. it's really good. You just need addition. to know
0: like the pathways that are available. You know, that, the different levels of all
2: the time, though, aren't they? I mean, yeah, but like, okay, T
0: levels but, are coming
1: out it. Really yeah, hard.
0: but you could tell, you know, the different levels of apprenticeships. Degree apprenticeships exist. There's a thing called a degree yeah. apprenticeship. A higher apprenticeship exists. It can go all the way up to level seven. All oh, right, and just like some, I think yeah, those...
1: I agree. I think there's such an expansive range of options these days yeah. that 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 uh, you can see why that's, that's difficult to do. Hmm. Um, I think when you spoke earlier about the um, employer involvement, I think that's one thing we've seen certainly from working with employers, just how um, the, they're, they're using the benchmarks to really align what they're doing. To work with schools yeah. and we actually spoke in series two to janet college uh, she's a careers educationalist uh, and she spoke about two great examples of um, companies really aligning themselves with, with the benchmarks and it was the, the teacher resources that mcdonald's had oh yeah um, where they'd host a load of information on online with different challenges and information for teachers to download mm. so they've got practical uh, top tips about you know, whether it's teaching food transportation or yeah. uh, looking after food, uh, they can use that in food science, for example. And it's a real-life case study, real-life example from McDonald's that they can use. And it's building the McDonald's brand within young people. Yeah, um, from a, They're probably fairly familiar with it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess from a actual... Yeah, maybe not from, no, eat, from eating a the food. From a point of view,
0: it's a career and something you can go into rather than something you
1: can They've <laughs> never heard of McDonald's before. Yeah. Um, another one, I think Shell. So Shell do a, a mm. competition that's really uh, great called the, the Bright Ideas Challenge. And it's for 14 to 16-year-olds to think about what um, energy is going to be like in 2050. So you've got to think, you know, how are we going to decide that anyway, let alone uh, young people. but Free R&D,
0: isn't it? it's a great idea <laughs> <Well>, yeah exactly
1: <laughs> but they're, they're providing that type of question providing that feedback on it providing that resource for employers to link in with mm. for, for schools to link in with it's really just joining the two where like you said before they were quite separate one thing mm. that i think employers
0: have really enjoyed it'd be good to find out how five developed how it got into one of the key mm. benchmarks and mm. sort of where that came from.
2: So I I was very impressed with what I saw in Germany. Right. Um, I mean, Germany stands out for many reasons, but one reason it stands out for me is uh, that they have lower youth unemployment Mm -hmm. than general unemployment. Now it's normally the case that youth unemployment is higher than general unemployment because young people don't have so much experience. Mm -hmm. But in Germany, it's the opposite, opposite way around. Now that's partly because of their brilliant dual system, which includes lot of apprenticeships mm-hmm. uh, but it's also because of their very very good careers advice right. but if we come to, if, if, if we think about what happens in Germany um, uh, time and again I would go to places schools and colleges in Germany and I would hear about the program they have for interacting with not just one or two industries but many different employers so they were kind of giving their youngsters a sort of 360 degree view of what the world employment of employment looks like okay. kind of almost bathing them yeah. in in the how, world how of are doing
1: work that? it's quite tough to do uh, well
2: quite... I, th- I think it's it's deep in the history it's something yeah. that survived two world wars the the very strong um embedding of employers in the education system and the education system in the world of employment so it's the natural thing to do mm. it's a natural thing that that an employer would interact with schools it's not a special optional extra you just do it and that that tradition is 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 very deeply embedded Mm -hmm. and so all you need is schools that are prepared to release the youngsters or to have employers to come in and 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 it all works it all works very well and and it's not just um it's not just employers it's employees too yeah so i would see um an apprentice coming into a school Mm -hmm. dressed in work clothes you know blue Mm -hmm. overalls yeah Piece of kit. This is what I'm doing today. Right. This is, and they, they they work, maybe in a local engineering firm. This is, this is what I, this is what my job's like. And the youngsters are sitting there looking at them and saying, "Well, you know that he was here in this school yeah. only a, a few years ago. I could be that person. Someone like me." Yeah. Mm.
1: So was, was that You've
2: lacking to see it in? To be it. See it to be it. I yeah, like so that's it.
0: One of the things that Alice says a lot, you know, from DBL, yeah. it's about you know role models and stuff. Yeah. You know, if you don't see something, it's hard for you to imagine what. what it is
2: and become whatever it might be but 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 also identifying with that person Mm. someone like someone who speaks with my accent someone who comes from a community like mine Mm. and is a a, let's face it young Mm. like the the young people sitting in the school that's very powerful
1: Mm. so so is that was that lacking in the uk Then was that something that came out in the research um well, certainly, it's, it's, Germany, it's not
2: lacking, but it is quite patchy. Mm. Um, and and what I wanted to do with all of this was to try and get the the standards of the best, which exist all over the country. Yeah, can everyone get up to that standard? It was trying to raise up mm. uh, all all schools so that they're reaching those same high standards. Yeah. So, uh, schools for as long as I've been in education, have have been interacting with employers and the world of work. But it was getting it to be more uniform and getting it happening everywhere. Mm. And that that's where the career and enterprise company has been so important yeah. because their, their mission is to get it, have an enterprise advisor in every school, uh, organized by enterprise coordinators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the evidence is very strong that... If you do regularly interact with employers, you actually reduce the chances of being uh, not in uh, education, employment, or training.
1: Indeed. We we interviewed Claudia in Series 3. So, Claudia, um, CEO of the Careers and Enterprise Company. Mm. Um, She spoke exactly about how the growth they've had, certainly from being in certain regions to now being around uh, across the UK. So... It sounds some amazing stuff what they've been doing and listeners can listen to that podcast in, in Series 3. I think, yeah, the
0: key, I, think the, I think the best bit of what the careers and enterprise company have done from an employer's perspective are the enterprise coordinators. Because if you're an employer, you're, um, most of the people who are going in work in HR teams and they've got a target. Their target is to recruit a certain number of young people. And part of that process is going into schools to talk to and help them understand what they are. So ultimately they go on and apply for that particular Um, organization and um, you go through the path of least resistance. Mm. So if you work in an area, let's say you're in Birmingham and there's five schools you go to and they're easy for you to work with. It's easy for you to get in. You go in every year, you know the person to speak to, they reply to your emails the first or the second or the third time you email them, then you're going to go to that school pretty often. Whereas there might be other schools who Mm. actually don't have very good provision in that area who would love to have you in, but you emailed them two years ago, five or six times you didn't get anything back. And so, you basically go. I can't be really bothered with that school anymore. Whereas I think the enterprise coordinator is really brilliant because they can help distribute that. Those employers who are really willing to go in mm. and do that missing bit, which is like the last mile type bit. You know, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the. I think that's the best bit of what. Yeah. yeah. And
2: and um, you know we have to remember that most people work in small or medium enterprises in mm-hmm. this country. Yeah. We have a very large number of. SMEs, accounting for a very large amount of our employment, so it's so it's a really important part of the employment sector, mm. and and re- and big, well-established companies like some of the ones that that, that you mentioned, Ollie, mm. they are the ex- working for them is the exception rather than the rule. Most people yeah. work for small employers. Now, it's hard for a small employer to get involved in career guidance and and schools. Yeah. Um, Liaison activities—it's it, hard because they haven't got the spare capacity to do it.
0: And they might even be aware that it's a thing. Exactly they might be yeah. aware of the benchmarks or what's going on in schools and colleges. So, so
2: I, and, and and coming back to the Korean enterprise company and the enterprise advisors and coordinators, they they will help because they will facilitate uh, with an employer who knows that they want to do this. But you know where do I get started? Mm. And it, I think it's very important that that there are available um, opportunities. Which are kind of low hanging fruit that that aren't going to involve huge effort by an employer, mm-hmm. but just sending someone into a school, getting getting a small group of school students in, sending some employees into a school, just getting your toe in the water mm. without having to make an enormous commitment of, of personnel and time and money. Yeah. And and if if we can do if we can get more of that idea of low barrier to entry ways of working with schools then we'll begin to draw in more and more of these small and medium enterprises
1: yeah i think with the the government obviously investing so much in apprenticeships and then becoming so much more popular um i think that's changed the landscape a, a lot because i guess when you go say to students at universities then going to employment you know they were in school five six years ago like for them it's not particularly close but when you've got students coming out of schools and colleges going straight into employment they know that they've just come from that school and college so they're far more likely to go back which is why you might see that in germany for example with more apprenticeships so i think that's one thing that almost the the recency of of that happening i think will definitely continue and hopefully get more people in
2: and and it's it's good for schools to stay in touch with their alumni anyway yeah quite apart from career guidance it's it helps to create a community feeling amongst, amongst that school and its past pupils. Mm. So I'm very keen on encouraging schools to use their alumni for yeah. career guidance, uh, as well as for all the other things that former pupils mm-hmm. can do.
0: And that's probably a place where they could learn from that. Like, you know, private schools tend to be much better at working with their ex-pupils and alumni and getting them to come back. And I guess there's a place there for, you know, your average state school to learn from those because there's, you know, there's certain methodologies that they, they do.
2: Yes, yeah. it, of course, independent schools do it for another reason, which is that they want <laughs> alumni to uh, maybe contribute a little bit to their funds, sure. um, and that is that's always a powerful motivator. But the, the, the point is that there are many other reasons why schools can benefit by staying in touch with their alumni. Yeah.
1: And do you want to touch on the senior leadership teams within schools? Mm. Um, how do you find getting, obviously, career guidance up into the senior leadership teams, how do you think that 's gone down with the, the the introduction of the benchmarks and how do you think you know, could they be doing any more or what's your what 's your feel mm,
2: well i mean you put your finger on it it really is <laughs> very very important and and um we found both from the international study and subsequently from um schools in this country that the two key ingredients are the career leader and the head teacher yeah and where you 've got a a strong relationship with the head teacher or the senior leaders in the school and the career leader then you really get things happening and we saw that overseas and we see that now from surveys that we've done in this country Mm -hmm. um and it's it's obvious why isn't Mm. it because the the career leader will be empowered in doing their job which ramifies right the way across the school you know, it's not like being a maths teacher, yeah. where you have one area in which you operate. You have to operate right the way across the school, and that needs enabling and empowering from the, sc- s- the senior leaders. Um, in some ways, I'm very encouraged. When we surveyed head teachers recently, 98% knew about the Gatsby benchmarks. Well, that wow, that's means great. they all do basically. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh poor two percent, isn't it? Those, those, <laughs> those few people are in that group. <laughs> They've probably forgotten. Um <laughs> and and something something like two thirds um had said that they had raised the priority of career guidance in their schools. So you know, oh, this, is, mm. this is this uh, is this is really encouraging, but um it's it's not pervasive, it's not completely pervasive yet. So uh, a really important piece of work in progress is to get head teachers more and more head teachers seeing how important this activity is for mm. social mobility and and actually for the motivation of their young people because when a young person knows that what they what route they want to go on they get a better feeling for the purpose of why they're there they'll be more motivated and more productive mm. so uh, th- there there are strong reasons for head teachers to to back the work of their career leaders, and we just need to keep getting that message out there.
0: And what do you think's next for the benchmarks? Do we need to add a ninth? Do we need to revise them? Do
1: we? They've got to all complete them first, haven't they? Yeah, so you, what... We mentioned earlier there was two out of eight is usually where, where it started. Oh, yeah, it started, yeah. Um, yeah. And then you've gradually seen a gradual increase. You know, just... And
2: Compass shows a gradual increase in the, in the numbers, very steady, and it's going on. Mm. And it will go on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm very confident that this yeah. progress will continue, uh, but there's quite a long way to go yet. Well, I know we're not going to change them yet. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we haven't if, got there if, yet, Jack. We haven't got there. If, well, you, <laughs> might, you know, you might start
0: and decided actually three's rubbish. I don't like three. <laughs> you, you know, you know.
2: I think if we came back to the Royal Society of Chemistry in ten years' time and we sat here um, and talked about it, uh, they we might well have done a revision of the benchmarks. Mm. I, I think you have yep. a responsibility because society changes schools change but we're not going to do it anytime quickly okay. but that's that doesn't mean that we're standing still right uh, and at gatsby we are uh, we're constantly thinking about what what we should be researching into next and something we're very interested in at the moment is parents mm. and the role of parents yep. in career guidance because if you ask youngsters where where they most frequently turn for advice it is their parents, mm. obviously yeah, the people who've always yeah. been there uh their parents or carers and um I don't think we we make enough of that powerful link, yeah. because some some parents will be very knowledgeable and they'll be able to give really strong advice, although it won't necessarily be unstereotyped advice, of mm. course, but Many families have got parents who who, who are canny and have the know, know-how and will be able to give good advice. But, but for families that don't have that sort of inside knowledge um, and don't have the networks and the contacts, the only fair thing to do is to make sure that the parents receive advice from the school so they can then pass that on to, to their youngsters. So what we're very interested in is finding out what sort of things do parents want to know about careers? Yep. And how can we help schools to work with the parents mm-hmm. so that it's like a team? Parents, schools, students mm-hmm. working together. And um, we've just started a, a quite a big piece of research to find out what parents need to know and then how we can get that information to yeah, them. Great, you look it. forward to seeing the results. Yeah, yeah, it'll yeah. Be, it, it, it will be be—it—it will be interesting. I mean, already we're getting some... You know, some interesting pointers, um, such as uh, parents start talking to their children much younger than you might think mm-hmm. about what they want, what job they want to do mm. when they're still in primary school. Yeah. And when when I think about my, my own family mm-hmm. and you think about yours... Mm this makes sense that you do say, you know you have little conversations what do you want to be when oh, you yeah. grow up and i was
0: going to be a farmer i was
1: a farmer <laughs> yeah it's very different to the astronaut that comes off around yeah, quite yeah, a lot be
0: a far- and then <laughs> and then i used to watch um, uh, was all creatures great and small and i decided i wanted to be a vet and i was saying that for a few years i'm gonna be a vet and then we were at some family thing and someone said oh oh be a vet you'll be you'll be rich and i was like oh, really and then someone else said if you become a lawyer you would be even richer and i was like great i'm gonna be a lawyer and that was it then until i was like 20.
2: But how old were you when you started having those thoughts?
0: Oh, be a farmer was when I started imaginary friends. I wanted to be a farmer. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it was yeah. tiny. Yeah. yeah,
2: And and you know, we're kind of smiling about it. But mm. this is this is real. Yes, people is, yeah. people have mm. real thoughts about what they want to be. Yeah. Um. They when do the, very
0: little research into it, it's just an idea they have from yes. young, and then they just go with it. Yeah. Sounds but good. they start
2: to construct a sense of who they are mm. uh, when they're when they're still in primary school. Mm, yeah. Um. And uh, I, th- I think the Royal Society did a survey of um, a thousand scientists and engineers. And they said, when did you first know that you wanted to be a scientist or an engineer? Mm-hmm. And I think about half of them said it was in primary school.
1: Wow. Right. OK. So, yeah, you know, yeah, these I mean, things happen early. Like. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, now, I'm not I'm not saying that we're doing a lot of work to get benchmarks into primary schools although i know there are some groups that are are trying that out in the northeast but what i am saying is um you have to acknowledge that parents start talking to their children very young Mm. uh, about about careers so we need to get them equipped to have those conversations much earlier than i originally thought we would have to Mm. that's just one snippet of the things that we're getting out out of this okay
0: um is there anything we haven't asked you yet that we should have asked you
2: um, well you could
1: have uh, yeah, we missed I think, anything <laughs>
2: um, I think you I think Jack you asked a question early on uh, how's it going uh, how are they going and I kind of went on to something else so that wasn't to avoid it mm-hmm. um, uh, but I've been very pleased by by mm-hmm. the way schools have responded mm-hmm. because it's one thing to get the government um saying you know this is this is what your career strategy is it's the the eight gatsby benchmarks anyway to get a national
0: (laughs) you know process in to get everyone to do it
2: that that's one thing but Uh everyone who knows anything about policy making knows that the hard bit is implementing sure it's not having a good idea it's implementing that that good idea and i've actually been very pleased by the way i've seen schools make these benchmarks their own particularly Mm. career leaders Mm -hmm. and um, I'm very pleased that we're now using the term career leader. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a head teacher, we called the person who led careers the career coordinator. Now that that was not acknowledging the sophistication of the job that she mm-hmm. did, yeah. because she was yes, she was coordinating and she was managing, but she was also leading mm-hmm. a, a, an activity that went on across across the school. And I'm very pleased that we have a a cadre of people who are proud to call themselves career leaders and whose school leadership will will consciously acknowledge that they have a leadership role. There's a long way still to go. I think quite a lot of career leaders need more time to do their job. But the changes that's, that have happened around that and the stronger feeling of self-confidence and empowerment amongst career leaders is one of the things that pleases me most. Mm.
1: Wonderful. Great. What a way to end. <laughs> <laughs> well, so John, thank you very much. That's been fascinating and a huge congratulations for what you've achieved so far. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty more uh, um, value I think they're going to add certainly over the next five, ten years as well. Uh, well, so well I'm, I'm
2: going good, good to stay interested in this area um, uh, and um, I think there's, there's still a long way to go, mm-hmm. um, but we know what world class is like now mm-hmm. and we're on the road to getting there.
1: Wonderful. Yeah. So for, for the listeners, if you're, I guess, a school or college, you're at the 98%, you probably would have heard of them. Um, so you won't need to know too much. But um, if you're an employer that doesn't know too much about the Gatsby benchmarks, we'll put a link on the website, yeah. earlycareers.co. Um, to the benchmarks, do have a good focus on four, five, and six, uh, and see what you can do with local schools and colleges to, to help out.
0: Thanks very much. I've been Jack.
1: And I've been Ollie.
0: And that is the Early Careers
1: Podcast. On the road. See you next time.
0: For all things early career recruitment, the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with Generation Z with all the information that you'll need. It's
2: the Jack and Ollie Show.